I'm Sherry Sylvester, and this is Ninth in Congress. The war over Texas history is raging in the Lone Star State as left-wing woke historians goaded by the diversity, equity, and inclusion myth and, crit and the critical race theory crowd infiltrate our public schools and universities. Their goal is to impose a one-sided and inaccurate view of Texas's past. Battles have been fought in the Texas legislature, which prohibit the teaching of critical race theory in public schools. In 2023, Senate Bill 17 was passed to close down DEI offices on Texas campuses. The legislature also established the 1836 project. This battle is also being fought at the Alamo and state historical sites. In 2020, several reporters posing as historians wrote a book entitled Forget the Alamo <laughs> with the thesis that Texas history is a lie. They were hoping to capitalize on the phony 1619 project, which holds that America was founded because of slavery and maintaining white supremacy continues to drive every American endeavor. J.P. Bryan is a Texas icon who has been fighting this battle his entire life devoting blood, sweat, and treasure to historic preservation across the Lone Star State. His accolades are daunting, but let me list just a few. He received an award for historical preservation from the Museum of Southern History. He's been president of both the Texas Historical Foundation, the Texas State Historical Association, and was appointed commissioner for the Texas Historical Commission by then-Governor George W. Bush. He received the Wheat Award for Historical Preservation, the Stephen F. Austin Leadership Award, a National Western Art Foundation Award, and in 2017, he was awarded the Historic Preservation Medal by the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Even Texans who aren't history buffs have likely seen his work when they travel to Big Bend. He and his wife, Mary John, spent two decades restoring the amazing Gage Hotel in Marathon. If you haven't been there, make plans to go now. <laughs> J.P. currently serves as the executive sec uh, director of the Texas State History Association, which is a whole nother story. J.P., thanks for joining us on Ninth in Congress. Uh, welcome to be here. Thank you. So forget the Alamo. Maybe one of the most inflammatory things that, that uh, we have heard out of the organization where you're the executive director is that the Alamo wasn't even a significant battle. <laughs> so yeah. what's happening? <laughs> well, th that uh, statement is, uh, in my judgment, reprehensible, but it's not the real fight that we're engaged in um, at the Texas State Historical Association. That where it obviously is troubling when you hear our state historian uh, make such a comment. The real issue with the TSHA is to make sure we have the historical balance that's always existed so that all the stories of history can be told. And we don't have that today. We're out of balance. We have 12 academics and eight non-academics and our committees are 10% non-academics and 90% academics, which means, in large measure, all our narrative will come from a group of many historians who will advocate for stories like the Alamo is not really a significant his historical event or it's all about white supremacy. And you have spoken 
eloquently about the role of the Texas Revolution in opening up the western part of the United States, and I think that's linked to the Alamo. Could you talk about that for a minute? Sure. What was what? Why San Jacinto and the Alamo were key in that struggle? Well, <clears throat> clearly, the Alamo was the beginning, um, at least uh, from <clears throat> the most dramatic encounters we began to have with the Mexican army um, in terms of symbolizing these men and those people who had settled Texas, their fight for freedom. And obviously it ended in a defeat, but all of those participants in that in the Alamo knew they were going to die. And so they were willing to stand their ground and do the heroic thing, the exceptional thing, and give their lives for our freedom. But they were going to make the other side pay a mighty cost for it. And um, clearly that effort at the Alamo resonated through the rest of the Texas Revolution to the Battle of San Jacinto, where that event really set in motion those those events in history that spread America from sea to shining sea and was the final piece in the puzzle of manifest destiny and it allowed America to become the greatest nation in the world. It's really interesting, this idea of Texas exceptionalism and American exceptionalism. You know, last year we were fighting uh, at the State Board of Education. We hear it TPPF. We were fighting the the uh, social studies curriculum that they had put forward. And I won't even talk about Texas, but just for World War II, in that section they had two items. They had the internment of the Japanese Americans and the uh, dropping of the atomic bomb. Well, right. certainly those things were important, but uh, you got to think liberating Europe might have been a piece of that. Right. <laughs> Or, or uh, uh, what we did in, in uh, you know, really rebuilding Europe, the Marshall sure. Plan. But it, I think there's that exclusion that you find. And when we were fighting that battle, uh, uh, one of my colleagues uh, addressed the SBOE and talked about uh, exceptionalism and Texas exceptionalism. And one of the uh, SBOE members looked at him and said, exceptional to whom? And I think that's that's where we get that story that you tell. I mean, uh, as you said, uh, everybody at the Alamo could have been criminals. They weren't. Right. But it's it's like the guys that took the plane down in Pennsylvania in 9-11. Sure. We didn't go back and see if what their entire lives represented. We just we just went with with that. So you actually went to the University of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did for quite a while. <laughs> went there to undergraduate and law school. What, when you when when did you see it change? I mean, so you graduated in the in the early sixties. Graduated in nineteen sixty five. Um, I guess there's been the same evolution in all campuses, university campuses through mm -hmm. throughout the country, but. Um, and for the most part, I would say that history departments have distinguished themselves by having vastly more liberal-minded historians than they have, say, conservatives, um, which makes those with conservative ideals um, somewhat on the defensive. 
but I think it's gotten far more dramatic um, in the last 10 years mm -hmm. where we've moved from just uh, trying to do, um, include uh, those who, who have been unfortunately too long excluded from right. the pages of history, uh, covering the minorities that have been ignored um, in our history and the contributions that they made like the Tejanos and their participation in the Texas Revolution. As I said a number of times, we would never have won that battle without them. Um, so those people have been ignored, but we begin to include them. But now we've taken a different and to me very alarming turn. And that is to really villainize those people who are truly heroic uh, for the most part in their performance. And then and make out victims of those people who were in the minority. And there's some truth in, in all of that. Uh, but that's not the truth. And that's what I'm trying to encourage us to look at. Let's look at the total truth of all these events and tell the story as it really happened and not try to have as, as many liberal historians or historians will tell you appropriately, we don't start off trying to get to a conclusion. We start off with all the facts and try to work to a conclusion. But you can look at the subject matter before when you start and know there's a story in there that could have real inspiration to it. And I think that's what we need to emphasize. Certainly we need to learn about those bitter moments of history so we don't repeat them. But how much better it is if we also can couple that with those exceptional, inspiring things that people did. And of course that's what our history should be. We should pick those moments in history that lead us to do better, to perform better, to forgive our enemies, to love our neighbors, to do those things that, that distinguish us as a wonderful nation with compassion and concern for all. Ab absolutely. I mean, the, the Texas history uh, is, is uh, full of warts, full of awful, awful uh, chapters. You know, it wasn't, wasn't just slavery. You know, sure. Reconstruction was terrible here. You know, Jim Crow era was terrible here. But that's not the year that we are living in now. One of the stories I always tell about my dad was he supported George Wallace, <laughs> and then he supported Jesse Jackson, and then he voted for Barack Obama. <laughs> I mean, that's... We're, we, you've got to be living in the history that you're living in. And the more we know about all of this, I don't think anyone is saying we should stop studying slavery in Texas. No one's saying that. No. Um, but we've got to know every, every uh, piece of it. Uh, you mentioned DEI, and I wanted to read something that I thought you might not have heard as we talk about this diversity, equity, and inclusion. Hmm. And as, as you point out, equity is a financial term. <laughs> <laughs> but the National Association of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officers, which has uh, increased by about a little over 1,200% in the last decade on campuses. At the University of Texas now, over 100 people have DEI in their title. Texas A&M, nearly that many. Every university in the state, with the exception of Texas Women's University, <laughs> has DEI officers. So this is a big movement. And here's what they say their mission is. 
related to your expertise, which is history. Right. Engaging in ways to incorporate alternative narratives in the curriculum and provide robust learning opportunities on the history of racism, colonization, and conquest, and how higher education and other sectors of society have been complicit in maintaining systems of white privilege. <clears throat> so well. if you've got an imbalance of <laughs> academics and non-academics, well, I, you know, I would, I would say that clearly, um, if you just say diversity, equity, and inclusion, that all sounds fine. If that means you have diversity of opinion, equity is something that you earn and you're going to contribute. It's not something that you're, that you're going to gift somebody um, without a sacrifice on your part. And inclusion means that we all get to sit at the table. We all get to tell our stories. But that's not the way I see the application. As a matter of fact, the last sentence in that definition, all about white supremacy, well, we can't back away from the fact that it was predominantly whites and Anglos, I mean, uh, white Anglos and Tejanos that settled uh, the western part of America. That's just a fact. And um, so a lot of the history that was made on this landscape was made by those two ethnic groups. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the others that were lesser in terms of the percentage or the population. We shouldn't say that they weren't part of the whole tapestry of this event. We need to, to give them their, their proper recognition, which we all admit we've excluded. But to say there's anything wrong with the fact that whites and Tejanos made the greatest some of the greatest history in the world. I think that's a, a story that ought to be inspiring to everybody, regardless of your color. I don't care who did something great. Shouldn't be about your, your ethnic uh, nature. It should be about your character personally. And that's what we ought to be judging people about. What did they accomplish? And that should be the sort, it should be, and not only should be, it is a source of inspiration. Look at what Texans have achieved generation after generation on this landscape. And you can't help but be awed by it. Yeah, ninth largest economy in the world. All the all of I get concerned, the national reports on this job creation, that's mostly us. Yeah. It's mostly us, maybe some Florida, but mostly <laughs> mostly us. You know, we have a, a uh, you talked about, uh, or maybe you didn't, but I read that uh, uh, TSHA meetings are now open with a land acknowledgement. And uh, we have a we here at the uh, at TPPF we often joke you know a lot of uh, the Spanish were on a lot of these lands before any of those tribes right. so maybe we should just like give a shout out to Carlos III and <laughs> thanking him for turning some of that land over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, certainly they took it from somebody else, so I'm not sure who they're who really the final acknowledgement goes to. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, one of the reasons you're an icon is because uh, you've got such a legacy in Texas. Your, your ancestors, you're a, a, a lineal descendant of, of some of the Alamo people and certainly the uh, uh, Stephen F. Austin and that connection. Tell us about that and what, how that gives you voice to fight this fight. Well, you know, it's certainly true that um, members of my family 
my grandmother and uncles, grandfather, um, and Stephen F. Austin were all a part of the early colonization of Texas, and they participated in many of those important historical events. But the thing that our family has always honored um, was our history. We had a part in making it sure. Uh, but the real issue for us is, well, what are we going to do to contribute to it going forward? And that's always been our a family-wide concern. What, what role can we have in ensuring that our history gets protected and promoted? We've always felt we had a sacred charge to keep, to see that that happens. And that's the reason I've had a lifelong association with the Texas State Historical Association. Some of my very dearest friends, and many of them, um, were academics, um, were members of that same organization. And we always, with, without exception, agreed on one thing, that Texas had the greatest history of any state in the Union, and we all loved it. Now, I don't see that same sentiment reflected in some departments today. I wonder about Massachusetts might be the only people with the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some empirical evidence about that. Okay, good. That, yeah, well, more books written about Texas than any other state in the Union, our history. Matter of fact, if we'll just take California out of the equation, more books written about the history of Texas than all the other states in the Union combined. So must have been something going on that intrigued a whole lot of historians. First word said on the moon was Houston. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in fighting this fight and uh, getting people to rally behind the Texas State Historical Association, how do you broaden? One of the things that we've looked at here at uh, TPPF is uh, I've reached out to Ancestry.com mm -hmm. because I think everyone should know their background just as you do right. and just as I do. and. There's some great tools. I mean, Ancestry.com has now digitalized all the censuses in Bear County. So that's like 500 years of censuses. So mm -hmm. that allows people to, to dig back. But what is, when you go out and try to get people to join, how can you excite them about this fight? Well, first of all, <clears throat> uh, you know, I really don't feel comfortable characterizing it as a fight, um, even though the other there are those that seem to wish to make it such. But to me, it's simply about making sure that we have the proper balance on our board and on our committees so that we have representation from those that want to sell, tell all sides of our history. That's what we're lacking right now. And that's what I'm encouraging people to, to get involved, to see that this goes back to the configuration that the this organization has enjoyed for 127 years. And it's only in the last three that it's been so disrupted. So we just need to return back to our origins as an organization, properly configured board and properly configured committees so that the story can get told by both sides. Then we bring the balance that we need and the honest debate that is going to make our history resonate with everybody, not just a limited number of people in our state. 
And your aunt started this organization, right? She was part of it. She and Guy Morrison Bryan. She was the first male, female board member. Uh-huh. And uh, Hallie Bryan Perry. She started the Daughters of the Republic. And um, um, my grandfather, William Joel, started the Sons of mm-hmm. the Republic. So we got both organizations going. And um, so we need to be joining those historical organizations. We need to encourage our children and grandchildren to get involved in these organizations and learn your history and learn what an incredible asset we all share in in this state. And as I say, though I will tell you there are those that disagree with me, it should be and can be a source of incredible inspiration to, pe- to people who study it and learn it. And always has been. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about the new collections at the Alamo is that it didn't just get popular with the John Wayne movie. <laughs> I mean, the Alamo was inspirational from the beginning. I can tell you all those streets in that, uh, San Antonio were named long before John Wayne made that movie. <laughs> and that, and that, that's, a, uh, that's a great s- story, too. You told us uh, you have been attacked because one of your descendants owned slaves. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, I have uh, my... Uh, Texas descended also was a slave owner, mm-hmm. but I also have ancestors that were abolitionists. I mean, there's a lot of strings on everybody's DNA, sure. but do you think that that's part of it? Do you th- I know one of the authors of Forget the Alamo is descended from slaveholder. Do, do people, are people really that narrow in their thinking? <laughs> you know, I don't want to make judgments about the commentary. I'll just say that I don't know why this has to be even part of the narrative. It seems absurd. It seems like a really it, it you're you're so optimistic in wanting to divide and and make sure that we've got academics and non-academics having worked uh the last year and a half to try to pass the DEI bill and working with <laughs> these universities. I'm not sure we would want any academics involved at all. Well, you know, I I just think name calling um, is the lowest form of communication. Um, we ought to have just an honest discussion about what our objections really are. And if we have something truthful and historical to back it up, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Then we'll all deal with it appropriately. But ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free is just not a throwaway comment. That, that was said by the greatest mind in the world and it was meant for our freedom. We know the truth and we will be free. If we ignore the truth or try to create something that's our truth, that's not gonna get us very far. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're, in, we're engaged in such, uh, it's, it's ironic that this, this debate is going on with TSHA, that we had the huge battle at the Alamo with the pushes between the forces of, the pro-slavery forces and the the uh, anti-Alamo uh, forces, and but at the same time we are engaged in a real renaissance in history in Texas. We've got, you know, much more being done at San Jacinto. We're looking at the whole Revolution Trail of sure. all the hist- historical sites, the the uh, plantations being refurbished. 
it, it seems like there is a real effort to give our students, our young students, much more real history. Sure. And, and much less of this propaganda. Well, as I said, we have the greatest history of any state in the union. I was chairman of the board of Institute of Texan Cultures in San Antonio and mm -hmm. for eight years. And so I was very familiar with all our cultures and all the people um, that made our history. And, and I was very reverent of their accomplishments. And it's not the people that were inside the Alamo. It was the event itself and what it stood for and what they were willing to give up, which was their lives. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, there are all kinds of historical events that we honor his, from uh, as appreciators of history. And we don't know the names of one person that was in that event. But that event itself and what those people accomplished resonates for generations to come. And what those men did at the Alamo, I can assure you, inspired other generations of Texans that came after them to go heroically into battle in war after war after war. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think the state in this last legislative session investing there was trepidation I know of whether people taxpayers how they would feel about investing almost a half a billion dollars to refurbish the Alamo after there been so much fighting being a San Antonian it's not a wealthy city. So it's a well, hard place to raise money in. It's interesting you go to the Alamo today and look at the people that are there, and they're from all walks of life and all kind, all ethnic groups are there to admire what and to under get a closer appreciation of what occurred there. You said something uh, earlier when I heard you speak. My uh, grandson is an Australian, and we took him to the Alamo. He'd never he didn't know the story, and. Uh, Ernesto Rodriguez, the curator of the Alamo, was out in front, as they often are. Right. You walk to the Alamo, and there will be historical experts out on the plaza that will talk to you. And I introduced him to our grandson, and he just looked at him and said, do you know the story of Gallipoli? Hmm. And uh, Jack yeah. said, yeah. And, he, and then he just started from there. Right. And uh, it, it, he he's, was fascinated after that. So, So what can we tell people? If they're, if they're watching, you're going into a mediation, right? There's a, some, there's a legal process that you've got to go through now. Right. We're going to have a mediation on the 23rd of August. Okay. And, you know, it, it's, we, you know, this thing has become far more dramatic than it ever should have. Um, we're, we're just simply trying to get the board back to the configuration it was, has always been historically. Um, and that's what we'll be mediating over. We're not going to be mediating over uh, the type of history that's told and whatever. That'll be a whole different initiative after we get the board back to, to properly configured mm -hmm. as to what we want to publish and what we don't want to publish and what we think is appropriate history and what isn't. And that's a debate that'll take place with everybody that has, you know, a voice uh, at the table. You know, when I just one more thing before we wrap up, when I ask you about going to the University of Texas, and, and I also went in that era, we, they were not teaching lost cause pro-slavery history even then. It's been gone a long time. Sure. And uh, the, the idea that this has come back around, that, that kids are not getting 
the facts in history. I know in Texas we prescribe exactly what you have to learn. Well, when we, when we were in school, um, we had in seventh grade, we always took history, that we were required to take it in seventh grade at that time. And we had great history teachers and they didn't tell us some myth. Um, they may not have known all of the history we know today. We may not have had all the value of all the research, but um, they taught us um, in large part the important issues in Texas history. They left out some things that we now have brought to the fore, which are appropriate, but it doesn't change the whole basic foundation of our history. You can take all of the flaws and it's still incredible. It's the greatest history, I'll say it one more time, it's the greatest history of any state in the union. And it's because it was made by remarkable people and sure they had plenty of flaws, I'm yet to see the person that doesn't. And plenty of those guys that made that history did. But it wasn't their flaws, it was what they, their conduct was, what they achieved on this landscape, this remarkable. And that inspiration, JP, one of the reasons I know that you're right, we did some polling here at TPPF a couple of years ago, and we wanted to know how people thought of themselves as Texans. Who thought of themselves as Texans? Did you have to be born here, a native? Could you move <laughs> in? Did it vary in terms of uh, race? Right. Uh, and what we found was it didn't. People think of themselves as Texans uh, if they've lived here. But pr sure. pretty much, as, as Lieutenant Governor Patrick says, you move to Texas and Texas moves into you. <laughs> but people are proud to be Texans. African Americans are proud to be Texans. Sure. Uh, Hispanic uh, Texans are proud to be Texans. They think of the history of the Texas Revolution as their history as much as it's my history and your history. It's, it's exactly what you say. It does inspire people. And we know it's inspiring those 1,000 people a day sure. that are coming across, across the border. Across the border. <laughs> well, they're, they're, obviously, they're coming here for the freedoms that are available to them. Yeah. They're, they're not looking for something like they just left. <laughs> they, they want what we have here. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, you know, like Sam Houston said, you can be a Texan by choice or you can be a Texan by chance. <laughs> and he said, I chose to be a Texan. And I've studied my own blood for her. That's great. That's great. What can we do to help? Wrap us up here. Well, just get the message out about what we're trying to achieve. Remove all the, the uh, static around it. And just we're trying to reconfigure our board. We're trying to get proper representation from our, everybody that wants to tell their stories about our history. That's it, plain and simple. A board that's, that is, complies with our bylaws, equally between academic and non-academic and our committees similarly uh, composed. And then, then we'll worry about how we tell the stories from there. Thank you. J.P. Bryan is a Texas treasure. The Texas State History Association is also a treasure and we need to be careful during this time that we do not lose it. Thank you all for joining us today on Ninth and Congress. Look for this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive the Ninth and Congress newsletter, you can sign up at the TPPF website, 
www.texaspolicy.com slash Ninth and Congress.